Good afternoon, 12ers. You guys doing well? Whoa, you're doing well after that. <laughs> you are awake if you were sleeping. Uh, let us, um, let's please uh, turn our Bibles to the book of, of Colossians. And uh, I seriously hope you brought your Bible to church today. Um, and if you didn't, lol. Because I'm not going to put the stuff up there. <laughs> Lessons learned. <laughs> Bring your Bible to church. While you find your place to, or while you find your way to the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1, let me just um, let me share a story with you. And uh, so growing up, um, I didn't always grow up in a saved home. And, and, uh, and, and so we didn't always do very saved things. <laughs> and, and so in, in black African culture, you know, cleansing is, a, is, is, a, is, is powerful, right? It's a, it's a popular theme. And you either clear, the way that you cleanse, you know, there's two ways that you can cleanse, through the top or through the bottom, right? So, so if uh, every so often we would have to have a cleansing, and when we had this cleansing, you know, you had the option of either um, drinking a whole bunch of liquid that would then cause you to throw up. And, and, and the more you threw up, and the more disgusting it was, the more cleansed, right? And you get up from there go, saying stuff like, yeah, actually, I, you know, in you fact, I feel good now. I feel good. All that all sugar came out, you know, that was holding me back. Or, you know, you would take laxatives and, and, and that sort of thing, and that would, like, give you some powerful bowel movements. Now, like taking the, lax- the laxatives was like a, the, like a good case scenario. Because from time to time, you would have, um, I actually don't know what the English word is. In Sotu, we call it rupeita. Um, what, what, what is it in English? Douching. Is it douching? Enema. Enema. And, and you had that little one, right? That, that was manual. You could operate that one. <laughs> And, and the unfortunate thing, the unfortunate thing was that we lived in an area, we lived in an area that had outside toilets. And, and so, the, and typically at the corner, it was the long drop, right? But this is not where this activity took place. It took place indoors, and you had to time it. Right? Because at some point, you had to start running and hope that you make it to the corner. <laughs> And, uh, and if that wasn't bad enough, every so often, once or twice a year, there was a church that we would visit. And, and this church was, was a specialist in this enema activity. And so what they would do is there was a, they, they would lead you to the, to the, to the toilet, and you would go into the toilet. And they had, they had like a, an enema on, on steroids. There was like a, a, an electric kettle with the tube that they would then hand to you inside the toilet for, you know, DIY. Um, 
and they would fill it with water. And you had to endure, right, until the, this water was finished. And they would, as, they would pray as this was happening. And this was kind of their thing. This was spiritual cleansing. Um, and you just kind of had to manage that process and know when to plug in and out. Um, so, <laughs> am I the only one who was traumatized by, this, <laughs> by these experiences growing up? These were traumatizing times. But, um, but it was all in the aim of, of cleansing. It was all in the name of doing spiritual activities. Now, what does that have to do uh, with today's sermon? Well, we are engaging on a uh, new sermon series uh, this, this week, and we're going to be working uh, through the book of Colossians uh, systematically. So if you'd like to keep up with us, um, then you know exactly what we're going to be teaching on the following week. So we're doing chapter by chapter. So we're going to look at chapter 1 this week. So have you found your way to Colossians chapter 1? And I hope you're not too traumatized by that story. Thank Jesus for the work that he's done in me. I've recovered. I'm over it, you know. Um, and and my, my children don't have to go through this experience. They can say, thank you, Jesus. So Colossians chapter 1. In fact, here's what we're going to do. Um, I want us to read this chapter, and, uh, and, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to read it together. So I'm going to ask each section to help me out. So this section we're going to read together, verse 1 to verse 8. And this section you're going to help me, and we're going to take it all the way to verse 18. And then this section you're going to help me, and we're going to take it to verse 23. And then I'll, I'll, I'll finish it off. I want you guys to engage along with me. As we read the Bible. Is that okay? Is this a good place to read the Bible? Awesome. Okay. So as each section is reading, obviously you're following along and you're processing. So we're doing two things. You're listening and you're reading out loud. And you're engaging with the word. So here we go. Guys, let's, from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't hear you guys. <laughs> Just read your own version. Never mind what mine says. Just keep up. <laughs> okay. We give thanks to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Yeah. We're exposing all the message Bible readers here. Okay, let's go, guys. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'll finish the rest off. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Amen. So now you can tick off on your bucket list that you've read Colossians chapter 1. <laughs> And hopefully by the end of the series, you'll be able to tick off that you've read the entire book of Colossians. But uh, are you guys driving from the back? Awesome. So, so here's what I want to do, and, and, we, and we can put up that initial um, uh, scripture. Uh, I, I want us to look at, at this book uh, section by section, and I want us to... Um, to unpack a few themes um, in this book. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I want to intentionally try and leave you with is some tools and some skills uh, that equip you to read the Bible and to understand it better. And, uh, and so you will know if you've been tracking with us that from time to time, as we navigate in the Bible, I'll give you just a, a nugget or a tool that helps you to navigate. So I think I might have given you two already, um, which, which the, the, the first thing that I mentioned was, was the, the, the principle of first mention. Um, that, uh, that if you're engaging with the Bible and, uh, and there's a theme that you want to try and understand or something that you're grappling with, going to the very first place in Scripture 
where it's mentioned helps to illuminate uh, the initial definition. Uh, the, the second uh, principle that I'd given you at some point was uh, the, the, the principle of Scripture interpreting Scripture. And basically what that means is when there is a theme or something you're trying to engage with in Scripture, look at all the different places in the Scripture where this particular thing is mentioned and try and draw out a prevailing theme so that you don't start to make up your own understanding because what happens, and this is our cult form typically, is that somebody sits in one scripture, unpacks this one scripture for themselves, and makes a life application out of this without understanding how scripture or the entirety of scripture. So when we reference other places, we get a fuller picture. And, uh, and I'll give you the, 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 the third one um, as, as, we, as we progress. I want to keep you interested. But the one, one thing that I'll give you now is not necessarily a common principle uh, or, or a common Bible tool, uh, but c- certainly something that I, that I use. And you may have come across it. I like to call it logic. <laughs> logic when reading the Scriptures. So if we read this particular section, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I don't know if it, this ever happens to you, where you read a whole portion of scripture and you don't know what you just read. It happens to me sometimes. And, uh, and what I have to do in that moment is slow down. That's usually an indicator to me that I'm reading too fast. And I'm just trying to tick a box. Read some scripture today, I can put the Bible away, and I can put on my next series. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But, but when, I, when I slow down and I read the Bible for the purpose of taking it in and understanding, you'll notice in your Bibles that those areas are not underlined and there are no brackets. I did that so that I could highlight to you the areas that should be standing out to you as you read and as you read slowly. So, for this reason, can you see that if you opened your Bible and you started reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, you would have no idea what the rest of the chapter is about. For this reason, should tell you that there's an entire discussion that just happened, that you just missed, and that the premise of everything else that is about to be discussed is based on what has previously been touched upon. So when I open the Bible and start reading from the middle of the chapter, from the middle of the book, There is a lot that I'm missing out on that would help me to actually understand the Scripture. So what was Paul talking about for this reason? Well, he was writing a letter to these guys saying, we have heard wonderful things about you. There's a good report that has come to us that the gospel has reached Carlos, that you have embraced the gospel, and it is doing a mighty work in you, that there is a a church and a community that has developed among you. For this reason, we now pray for you all the time. So the reason that Paul is praying 
is because God is moving in that area. Now, for the next little while, I want us to try and unpack some of these areas, especially the underlined, the underlined areas. So we can, we can go ahead and look at the next one. So for this reason, here's a question that I want to pose to you. I'm sure that you have personal prayer time, I hope so at least. And if you don't, start doing it so that next week you can go. And not look at your shoes when I say stuff like that. <laughs> when you have your prayer time, what is it that you pray for? Promotion? Health? A husband or a wife? Your family to be protected? What are the things that you typically pray for? If you were to think about it, what are the things that you typically pray for when you have your prayer time? And are those things inward focused or are they outward focused? My, my assumption, and I'm, I'm so happy to be wrong here, my assumption just based on having held this scripture to my own life and recognizing that there's a, there's a, there's a shortfall. And if you're anything like me, my assumption is that your prayers are quite selfish. And that you, you focus and are consumed with the things that are happening specifically in your own life. Paul presents a model for us for the reasons that we ought to pray. So we ought to pray for our lives. We ought to pray for the things that we're interested in because God is interested in the things that we're interested in and in our lives. But there's a greater mandate when you are a child of God because as a child of God, you belong to a body. And you have a certain responsibility for that body. That if you are the pinky, you're praying for the eye. That you're praying for the lungs. That you're praying for the arms. Because you need all of these things to come together. One, to glorify God, but for you to function also. The pinky is great, but it's pointless without the head. The head is awesome. But wait until you hurt your pinky to realize how vital it is to your everyday functioning. And so when one part of the body is suffering, we're all suffering. And so we ought to pray for one another and to recognize that when the body is healthy, God is glorified and the kingdom advances. But also because we have a mandate, right? We have a mandate. God has called us and he's called the, the commission. So go and, and, uh, and take the word into all the world. Disciple people. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the work that he's done in your own life. Teach them to live a, a biblically-based life. Teach them to follow Jesus. Teach them to live lives that are submitted to the, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the commission that Jesus gave us. And that requires that we pray for people. So I want to challenge us. That our prayers, not necessarily that they would move from, focus, from, from, from selfish prayers to, or from inward prayers to outward prayers, but that we would add outward prayers into our prayer, prayer time. So pray, pray for yourself and for progression and all of these things that matter to you. Pray outward focused prayers. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your, for your area. Pray for your workplace. Pray for the people that God is bringing into your life. Pray for the body. 
as you see things happening, even in the news, you know, and, and if you follow the news or social media, there's always things that are happening, attacks and, and certain things that are happening that bring the body of Christ into disrepute. Pray for these people. Don't be part of the band of people who are mocking them. Don't be part of the people that are making fun. Be one of the people that are solution-oriented, that are praying for the people, because you recognize that even though these people are going down a wrong path, they are still part of the body. And if, they, if, if, if I stand idly by and allow them to go down this path, I may consider them to be a pinky in the perspective of my own life. But as I said, hurt a pinky and you'll realize how important it is. So, so why do we pray? We pray because we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And what do we pray? Well, the following verse says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So he's praying for these guys and he's saying, I heard, we heard about the, the work that the Lord is doing in that place. And we've started praying and we haven't stopped praying. And this is what we pray. That the knowledge of the will of God would fill your life. And in fact, he goes on to say, not just the knowledge, but in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's all good to have knowledge. Knowledge is awesome. Knowledge is helpful. But wisdom helps us to appropriate knowledge. And so Paul is saying, we're praying for you that you would know stuff and that you would know the will of God but if all you're doing is knowing the will of God and not applying the will of God, then it's pointless. So my prayer over you is know the full will of God and have the wisdom of how to apply that will of God in your own life and to walk it out. So James... In the book of James says, if you don't have wisdom, here's a thought, ask for it. Lord, I want to know your will, but I want the wisdom to know how to appropriate your will over my life. I want to know your will, but I want to hold it within the magnitude of spiritual understanding that gives me perspective with regard to your will. So I, I receive the knowledge of the will of God, but I don't necessarily like what I've just learned. But spiritual understanding helps me to know that as long as it is the will of God, even if it doesn't look so great for me now, but in the big, bigger picture, because of the, it is the will of God and because God is good, the outcome will be better than if I was in control and operating and effecting my own will. Spiritual understanding helps me to be thankful in how I approach God. I thank you that you lead me and guide me. I thank you that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know some truth, and that is that you are with me, and that you will bring me out of it, and that the outcome will be better than when I worked, walked in. 
So I'm thankful at all times, and that's how I approach God, is I'm thankful when I present requests before Him, I'm thankful. When I receive res- uh, answers for my prayers, I'm thankful. When I speak of the things that God is doing in my life, I'm thankful. When I recognize the trials and the temptations that I've overcome and that I'm currently facing, my attitude is I'm thankful because I'm holding it within the gambit of spiritual understanding. So he's saying, be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So, let's backtrack. I have knowledge, but if all I have is knowledge, then that's useless to me. In fact, I don't know if you recognize this, but we have more access to information and knowledge now than we ever have before. You and I have access to more stuff and more info and more knowledge than Abraham Lincoln did. We have more access to information and knowledge than William Wilberforce did. We have more access to information and knowledge than Nelson Mandela did. Today, but these three people that I've listed were not great because of what they knew. They were great because of what they did with what they knew. In fact, I would dare say we have more access to knowledge and information than even the great King Solomon. And yet he is, he is far greater. Why? Because knowledge by itself without wisdom in terms of how to apply it, is pointless. It's just pride. And so God wants to bring us from a place of, he wants us to know his will. But with wisdom and spiritual understanding, we can appropriate, appropriate it well and live out a life that is worthy of the Lord. This gives God pleasure. When we know his will, Apply his will, we walk worthy of him, the pleasure of God. And so what pleases God? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. By the way, if you haven't noticed, we're actually going line by line. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God pleases God. We're fruitful. Remember the conveyor belt. Knowledge, wisdom, within that space of wisdom and spiritual understanding, worthiness, pleasure, the pleasure of God. We're fruitful, or God is, is, we have the pleasure of God, sorry, when we're fruitful in every good work. But what does it look like to be fruitful in every good work. As I was reading the scripture, that's a question that I asked myself, and I put it in my notes. Is this even possible? How is it possible to be fruitful in every good work? Who feels like up until now, they've been fruitful in every good work? No hands? (laughs) And then I had to go back to the life of Jesus, because that's where I always go when I'm confused. Jesus, in your life, you were fruitful. It's undoubtable. 
like, we can, we, can, we can debate a lot about Jesus' life, right? So we can debate, you know, was it wine or was it grape juice? You know? <laughs> we, we, we can debate a, a whole bunch of stuff, um, but there's just some things that we can't debate, some things that we can't argue against. We can't argue against the fact that Jesus was fruitful in every good work. Every labor that he put his hand to bore fruit. How is that even possible? Is it because he was Jesus and full man and full God? And so it was this unattainable thing that is over here that we can only look at and go, wow. That doesn't make sense to me. But when you study the life of Jesus, you recognize two things. He lived a life that was dependent, fully dependent on God. And he says this, he confesses that a number of times. I only do what I see my father doing. So, Jesus practiced the will of God. You see, half the reason we're not fruitful in the endeavors that we're putting our, our hands to is because we're actually not operating in the will of God. We haven't bothered to ask God what is his will for our lives, what is his will for, what is his will for this particular situation that we do. We plunge right in, and then we're frustrated later because we don't have a fruitful outcome. Jesus didn't operate like that. Jesus looked at what the Father was doing and did that. And so there were many people that Jesus walked past who were ill, paralyzed, diseased, on the verge of death. He didn't pray for them all. But there were a few that he prayed for. Why? Jesus, why would you not pray for everyone? Why would you not come and make your ministry a phenomenal prayer ministry where you live up to, be, to, be, to, to the ripe old age of 99 and all you do is you just heal people? Wouldn't that be like a good thing to do? Maybe. Sounds good. But that's not what God wanted him to do. That wasn't God's will for his life. So what did he do? He targeted the things that were God's will for his life. And he was successful. If you target the things that God has equipped you for, purposed you for, given you talent for, and put you into that space, that is your prime time. That is your flow space. That is where you're maximizing timing, gifting, calling. All of that is coming into place, and you will have no choice but to be fruitful. But if everything is just like, I'm just going to shoot every single direction and see what I hit, you, you'll live a frustrated life. So, so how, how then do we increase in the knowledge of God? So, so, so being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God pleases Him. Fruitfulness comes through having an understanding of His will, applying it for specifically for my life. Now, how do I increase in the knowledge of God? I increase daily in knowing and understanding my wife. I think I do. I think I've got her. And then, I'm just like, what? <laughs> this, this is a curveball. But I, but I learn new things. Why? Because I spend time with her. Because I engage her. Because I talk to her. Because I, I offend her. And all of these things cause us to figure each other out. And if you prioritize connection with God and you allow him to speak into the areas where you have offended him, 
and you spend enough time with him to develop a love for him, you will get to know him. Where you will have a cycle of time and love, that the more time I spend with him, the more I love him, and the more I love him, the more time I spend with him, and the result is the more I know him. So when you read the Bible, when you're praying, it's not a checklist. It's not, let me rush through this thing as, po- as quickly as possible so I can get to the next thing. It's about getting to understand and know God. And then they pray this interesting one. Pray that you be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Do you love it when somebody goes, man, you know God just put you, put you on my heart and I've just been praying for you. I love those. I've just been praying for you. God has put, me on, put you on my heart and I'm going, thank you, Lord. Please continue to pray for me. And then sometimes they mess it up and they're like, yeah, praying. Let's pray that time. That, you know, there's, there's, I just feel like there's a, there's a season that's coming. And it's a difficult season. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like the way this is going. But, but God will give you perseverance and he'll allow you to prosper. You've lost me already. You know, I'm like, Paul, Paul is saying here that we're praying for you guys. But one of the things that we're praying for is that you'd have patience and long-suffering with joy. Thanks a lot, Paul. But here's what James says about patience. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the, the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now we come back to spiritual understanding. If I don't have spiritual understanding and somebody's praying for patience over me, I get upset. When I have spiritual understanding and I understand that finished work of patience is perfection, I'm going, yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. And just that note, prosperity pleases God. And, and here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, we're trying, to find, we're trying to find that easiest outcome, right? So we're trying to find that cushy space, that soft space, that comfortable place. But what I was pondering is this, that prosperity is not necessarily the joy that comes from the accumulation of things, but when we come to the understanding that the things never had anything to do with our joy. So whether I have things or I don't have things, I have joy. And when my joy is linked to what I have or don't have, I'm in bondage. And I'm not prosperous. I can have everything, but if my joy is linked to those things, I'm not prosperous. So prosperity pleases God. So, so now we come to, uh, I'll have to read that for you guys. It's, it's a little bit dark. But, um, but I mentioned a third principle that I wanted to give you guys. So, so you, are you ready for it? Principle for reading the Bible. So what was the first one? Principle of first, of first mention. What was the second one? Scripture interprets Scripture. The third principle that I want you to apply is context, 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 context. And so when Paul is writing this letter, he has received a, a, a report from Epaphras about how things are going. Things are going good. The, the work is going, but there's a problem. Alongside with the work of the gospel, there is some deception that has arose that threatens to take away the gains of the gospel. 
So there's some false teachers in their midst that have started to teach some false truths, some random things, philosophies, and religious practices that threaten to take away from the gains and the power of the gospel. And people are starting to believe these things and even incorporate them into their faith. So remember my story right at the beginning? Some things are efforts that we are trying to do to cleanse ourselves, to be a substitute for the gospel. And so we have these things, these philosophies, these things that come in that sound good to the ear. They sound good, but when they're tested, they fail. And so, let me give you an example. So somebody may say, you know, you know what's wrong with this country? You know what's wrong with this country? Jacob Zuma is what's wrong with this country. If Jacob Zuma were to just fall or resign, this country would be saved. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to comment too much on that because there might be some card-carrying members in, 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 in our midst. <laughs> but the salvation of our country doesn't lie in the hands of one man. And so already when we hold that truth up to the light, it fails. So let me bring it a little bit closer to home. If we were to just eradicate all the taxis on our road, we'd, just, we'd arrive at work happier, everything, it would just solve the problem. My insurance would go down. Now, sounds good. On the face of it, sounds good. But the application of it is faulty, very, very faulty. Let me bring it even closer to home. In fact, let's take it all the way home. If my wife could just change in this area, I would just, I would be happier. I would be, I would be, actually, I would be happy. Here's the problem with that. I have just outsourced the condition of my soul to somebody's behavior. So all of these things that sound good, that sound like truths, but when they're held up to the light, are false. I want to call them fake news. And, uh, and so there was some fake news that the church of Carlos was dealing with. And, uh, and, and, and as I said, it was philosophies and all sorts, and it was a forerunner um, to, 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 the philosophic, to the philosophy of, of Gnosticism, and I, and I, wanna, I don't want to get too, too technical, but you can, you can go and look that up. But um, here, here, here's a, uh, the first bit of fake news. Holiness comes through torture and mastery of the body. Now, as we, we work our way through this list, you'll recognize that this is not just from the Bible days. We still see it being prevalent today. In fact, I would argue that this type of fake news is making a resurgence, and you'll see it mostly in your social media and in your movies. Movies, series, think about the series and the movies that you watch. How many of them have a central theme of torture the body, master the body, and you get, get to the next level, and then you're, you're powerful? Here, here, here's the problem, right? Sounds good. 
and has an element of truth to it. When I, if, I, if I'm disciplined in my body, I'm likely to commit less obvious sins. But verse 14 in chapter 1 says, in, talking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is saying, it's not your body. It's not, how, it's, it's not how much you can punish your body. It's not how much you can discipline your body that will get you into the kingdom. It's the blood of Jesus. God is invisible and distant. Therefore, salvation is left to us. How many of your favorite series and movies have this as a central theme? A distant God who's mentioned sort of. But you see plenty of demons and angels fighting and they're closer to us and, and we have a part to play. And if we can just slay enough demons and then we'll, we'll, we'll make it to, to, to heaven and we'll earn our way. It's all the central message is all how you can earn your way in because God is so distant and irrelevant to you. And this was part of the message that was coming up. Here's what Paul says in verse 15 to, 16, to 17. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. So is God invisible? Sure, I'm not arguing that. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. By the way, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. So there goes that argument. Another way in which it would manifest itself is by claiming that matter is evil. Matter is evil, therefore could, could not have been created by a holy God. All things matter are evil. So we're evil, the world is evil, everything is evil. God could not have created this, this world, so it must have been created by a lesser God. But because all things are evil and irredeemable, it doesn't actually matter. Sin is irrelevant. I can do what I want. And they're falling into this trap. But there are philosophies that are rising today that we're having to deal with. Contemporary thinking that lends itself very much to these concepts. But Paul reminds us, no, by him all things are created. It wasn't a lesser God. By him all things are created in heaven and earth. All things visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Here's something else that popped up. Through secret knowledge, we may find salvation. So, go some, leave, leave your, your work and go to some forest somewhere or some Buddhist temple and learn some chants, learn some secret knowledge. And through this, you will find promotion and you will find salvation. There's, there's contemporary versions of this still today. But Paul says, guys, it's no secret. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You don't have to go join a secret society to figure out the secret to success. He's telling you now, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And of course, there were mystery religions um, that were propping up, that were threatening to take away the gains of the gospel and address the same way, saying, guys, again, linked to truth, right? Saying, I don't, I don't deny that there were some truths that were hidden, 
God had hidden these truths. By the way, though, in Proverbs, the Bible says about God hiding things, that it is, his, it is, it is, it is the pleasure of God to hide these things, but it is the glory of men to seek them out. He hasn't hidden them so far that they can't be found. It's an invitation to relationship. And so when people are going, no, 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 all things are hidden, yes, but you can find them. Actually, you'll find that they're hidden in plain sight. Book of Psalms says, look up, look at the sky, look at creation. Romans says, creation itself is evidence of the, of, of the presence of God. He's left a fingerprint of himself all over creation, even in our very souls. God hasn't hidden himself from us. The mystery that you're looking for is this. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So there was all, let's, let's stand together. There, there, there are all these All of these philosophies and fake news that was threatening to take away the gains of the gospel. And all of them had a central line, a, a, a theme, which was this, that there is hope or you can put your hope in something else other than this gospel. Why? Why do we do that? Because our human, our human minds can't comprehend the goodness of the gospel, can't comprehend the simplicity of the gospel. It's too good and too simple to be true. So what do we do? We try and embellish and try and add on to it and try and make it more graspable and more pragmatic. And surely there needs to be an extra step. We can't just go from you're on your way to hell to you're, you're, you're seated in the heavenly places. There must be a middle thing works. There must be something I should do to feel like I've earned it. Because the gospel is that good and that simple. And we need to guard our hearts and our minds against anything that would tempt us to add to the hope of our salvation, to add to the message of the gospel, or even to detract from it. So I'm not saying don't watch TV or don't watch movies or anything of that sort, but definitely watch the inputs that you're receiving very critically. And notice the, the subliminal messages that are being fed to you. Because people can go, incrementally, by the way, this is, this, this is the problem, is it happens in small bits, so you don't actually notice that you've gone from a place of understanding of grace and embracing it to a place because of everything that you've received to having to, to understand or to start to believe that surely it can't be all grace. Surely there must be something that I should do, that I can do, and if I'm not doing it, I, I'm not earning my place in or I'm not earning my keep. You started over there, but you're now over here in small steps because we're not guarding our hearts and we're not filtering the things that we're receiving through the Word of God. So my encouragement to you, my plea to you, filter things, filter information, filter values, filter belief systems, filter advices, filter everything through the Word of God. That gives you homework though because it means you have to read the Word of God for understanding. So, Father, I pray that you'd give us a love for your Word. Give us a love for truth. Help us to recognize your truth. I pray for each and every person 
on their feet this afternoon. That you would give them an understanding of your word, a passion and a love for your word. Cause your word to become life to them as they read it. That they would long for it, look forward to it, cherish it more than gold, more than honey, more than all the riches in the world. That receiving from you would be their central theme. Help them, Father, to know your truth and know your word so genuinely that they're able to spot what is fake. To spot what is fake news. And to hold on only to what is right and what is true. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.